yesterday, I met my wife. Fourteen years ago yesterday, I married my wife. And tomorrow will mark the anniversary uh, that I come uh, for the first time to McCormick's Creek Church, 15 years. And uh, all those days has been the best days of my life. And uh, I, I can remember certain things very prominent in my memory. Obviously, when, uh, when I married my wife and, and my children being born and coming here, it's, it's, been, it's been one great time, McCormick Street Church. And uh, I'm hoping to spend another 40 or 50 years at McCormick's Creek. It would t- have to take an act of God to move me out of here. I love this church. There you go, the rapture. Speaking of the rapture, I got an email yesterday from my aunt. And you all may be seated. Got an email from my aunt. And uh, I am not one to, well, I would be going against the Word of God if I named a date in which Jesus was coming back. The Bible says that no man knoweth the hour or the day. But there are people out there, and I know that in 1988 they said that Jesus, 88 reasons that book was written that Jesus Christ was coming back. And obviously, uh, I'm still here. Uh, Sister Dean's still here, and I know the rapture hasn't taken place. You know, that's probably one of the people I'd call if, if I thought the rapture was going to take place. And I, I'm not joking when I say that. But uh, then, few, I mean, Every few years, somebody comes out with a book or makes a claim. And here recently, a while back, a few months ago, somebody said that Jesus Christ was coming back. But I got a, an email yesterday that it hit me so strong. And I don't think that I have ever had such a burning desire to see the eastern cloud split. I don't think that I had ever, after yet, when yesterday, when she sent me, this and I'm just going to give you a short, brief rundown. I I'll have to read it again because I read it at 5:30 in the morning. I tried to read it yesterday and I was studying. Uh, but Israel became a nation in 1948, when the Bible says that when the fig tree bloometh, this generation shall not pass away before the Son of Man cometh. Seventy years, 1948, which ends 2018. But there's po- people out there that say that if you minus the seven years. If you minus the seven years of tribulation, it's not me, it's just what they're saying. That's 2011. There's going to be a feast, feast of Trumpets, correct me if I'm wrong, September 29th. They believe that's a special day in which maybe the prophecy came on the day that came from, and there will not be another one for 50 more years. So, I don't know, but I hope he does come back. I don't know when he's going to come back. But I do know that there's, I don't believe that there's anything that really has to take place prophetically before Jesus Christ comes back. I just know that the season's here and there's earthquakes happening on the East Coast and that's unsettling. You don't hear about that. You expect it to happen in California or or through Illinois where the big fault line is. And and in the same week of of, of that earthquake, there was a uh, there was a uh, 
hurricane that hit the same place. My family was in it. Houses destroyed. People were killed. But it's all over. The Bible says when you see these signs, look up for your redemption draw night. And yesterday I was talking to a young man. I was sitting in the vehicle. And I told him about the email. And he, he kind of disagreed. With and I said, well, wait, you can't. I said, you know, what I just told you, that there's really nothing that has to take place. He said, well, I don't believe it. I said, well, the fact is, I said, if he delayed his coming another thousand years, and I said, if you died today, would you be ready? And I said, we were sitting, getting ready to unload some paper. And as soon as I said, man, you could be standing on the curb, and I said, you could walk, step out, and get hit by a car. And I said, your life is over. And as soon as I said it, a black gentleman standing on the curb walked out in front of a car. He was facing us, and he walked out in front of a car. If I wouldn't have hit the horn, he looked, and he barely had time to jump back. And he looked like he had saw a ghost. As soon as I told my friend that you could step off the curb, this man did. And when I walked right up to that man, and I felt the Holy Ghost, and I touched him, he was holding his chest, and he, he couldn't say anything. I said, you better be ready. I said, because you don't never know when you're going to breathe your last breath. So there is an uncertainty in the world. First Samuel, you don't have to stand, 13 and 20 says, but all the Israelites went down into the Philist- to the Philistines to sharpen every man his share and his culture and his axe and his mattock. Now that's all I'm going to read, but I'll finish up here in a minute. Uncertainty, we feel, uh, every one of us, is one of the most challenging of all human problems to have, to contend with. We've all dealt with it. It is a place of being somewhere in the middle. You ever felt that? You have traveled too far from the start, but not far enough to get to the destination in which that you want to get to. Prayers that you've prayed a long time ago that you feel like you're halfway there, but it seemed like a long time ago that you prayed those prayers of healing and children being saved and job situations and money and financial difficulties and just different things. It is, it is that deadly middle of uncertainty that eventually robs you or robs us from faith. I want to ask you a few questions, and you don't have to... I just, I just want to ask you for the sake of asking the question, have you ever been in the place of uncertainty? Have you ever been in a place where it just seemed like you couldn't get a firm foundation to stand on? Have you ever been in a place where you weren't certain how the next few days would turn out? Have you ever been in a place where you didn't know where the next house payment was going to come from? Have you ever been in a place where you where hope had been crushed and your faith had fled from you? Have you ever been in a place where uncertainty had pushed you to a place of panic? Uncertainty has a way of unnerving us. Correct me if I'm wrong. It almost ha- it brings us to a point of being paralyzed in our spirit. You, you don't have to live very long before you come to understand that a lot of people are living in the place of uncertainty. Our world is overwhelmed with uncertainty. You can see it in our government. You can see it in our schools. You can see it in our courthouses. 
You can see it when uh, both uh, Democrats and the Republicans stand and they argue about about uh, things or how ways to fix the country or don't do this or do that. And we feel constantly the effects of it. And it's hard to admit that the church deals with it. And uh, the church, we, we try to hide it because we, we feel like we do have the answer, and we do. But it's easy because we live in such a carnal world and we work with carnal people. We work in carnal jobs that constantly pull at us and we see the internet and see TV and hear the radio and it's constant bad news and it's constantly pulling us uh, downward and into a negative mindset in, in our hearts and our spirits. Uncertainty, uncertainty, uh, excuse me, uncertainty has a way of unnerving us, it, almost to the point of being locked up and, with, and uh, without exposing our uncertainty. The reality is that most of us don't want the vulnerability that might blow our cover. We live in it constantly, and we don't like to admit it, so we cover our uncertainty with a pretense that says everything is well. I serve a big God. I, I, I know where my strength comes from. And all of us have been at that point in our lives, and there is a lot of people in the sound of this, my voice that are at that place right now. We spend a lot of time trying to cover it up, talking about different things and changing the subjects and the weather and economy, gas prices, and, and uh, we, we get overloaded with life, but we manage to keep up the front, and it seem, we seem to cover it up well. We become professionals at un- and covering it up and disappointments and grieving. That is the way it is when you're uncertain. The text we, that I read earlier is a passage, it's an isolated passage in the midst of a great uncertainty for the people of God in Israel. They had been reduced to a place of great degradation and depression because of their sin. The Philistines had gained a great victory over Eli and his sons. They, they had possession of the Ark of the Covenant, which was the representation of the power of God. They, when they had the Ark of the Covenant within their possession or their reach or their vision, they felt like they had it all together, but it was a sad, sad state of affairs when they had lost it. So in return, they were uh, in, with great uncertainty. It is trouble to be in the place of great uncertainty when you have made bad choices, and uh, it seemed that that's where they were. And when you have made bad choices... Uh, it seems to be compounded when all of your supports of what was associated with God has been violated or taken from you, and you, you feel the blows of, of things and the, 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 the starch reality, or harsh reality, rather, that comes against you. It, it's a hard thing to be uncertain. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is where Israel came to. They were uncertain. With much uncertainty, They brought it brought them to a new low. You can read previously in the chapter that where Saul had come along and gathered a measly 600 men to fight off the ravages of the Philistines. But consider the numbers of the Philistines in 13 and 5. They had 30,000 chariots. 600 men. We're going to take on 30,000 chariots armed. 6,000 horsemen, 
The Bible says that the people were numbered like the sands of the seashore. This is quite an amazing number to have to fight against. The Bible goes on to say that the children of Israel were in a strait. They become distressed and begin to hide in caves and amongst the rocks for fear for their lives. Some even fled to uh, the land and left the tiny army to fend for themselves. The NIV renders 1 Samuel 13 and 6 like this. It says, when the men of Israel saw that their situation was critical or uncertain and that their armies were hard-pressed, they hid in caves and in thickets among the rocks and in the pits and the cisterns. As the uncertain, uncertainty mounted, Saul, who was in a state of great impatience and uncertainty, panics to extent that he tried to usurp his authority and usurp his position and offered sacrifice because he would not wait on Samuel, which was the man of God. It was his job to do it. And because he was uncertain, he began to make wrong decisions about the people of God. And when you're uncertain, you don't want to go making decisions. That's what gets people in trouble. They, they feel uneasy. They, they, they tend to make the wrong decisions. That's why it's never a good thing to make a decision when you're in a valley, when you're in the low places. Because when you're in the low places, you get that uncertain feeling and you begin to make wrong decisions. And when you make wrong decisions, you will uh, inherit uh, bad situations. I'm in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm getting ready to go somewhere here in a second. And then, and then Saul, he, or Saul would do it again and mess up in 1 Samuel 15 and 26. Impatience with God's plan and uncertainty about conditions will push people into actions of disobedience. I've seen it a hundred times and people feel uneasy when they come to church and and uh, they don't understand what they're going through, but they're, they feel uncertain and they feel uneasy. And I've seen them a hundred times. They walk out the doors and they make the decision not to go back to McCormick's Creek. Maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. And uh, they're, they're, they're making their feelings on, on, based on how they feel. It is not time for the church to make a decision by how you feel. You don't make a decision by how you feel. You make a decision by faith. Through the Word of God. I feel like I'm somewhere else tonight. I feel like I'm in one of those other kind of churches. Yet despite the failings of Israel, God was going to step in into the midst of their uncertainty and use their enemy to sharpen their weapons. But I want to let you know something tonight. God is not limited or he will never be limited, has never been limited by the failures of man. It's crucial for us to remember that God has never failed, and he has never failed man. That it is it's why it is so important to be on top of, uh, uh, of, of uh, or listening to, and heed to the Word of God and heed to the, uh, to the man of God because God is always right. I'm going to go on because I feel a pull here. I'm, I'm just going to go on. One of Denmark's leading sculptors had a consuming ambition to sculpt uh, 
the greatest stature of Jesus Christ ever. He began by painstakingly shaping a clay model of triumphant and majestic figure. This will be my masterpiece, he said, on a day that the model was complete. He, he, he felt that when he completed it, it would be his greatest thing that he had ever set to accomplish. However, during the night, the heavy fog rolled into the area and the sea sprayed and seeped into the sculpture's studio uh, through the partially open window. In the morning, he was shocked when he saw his model. The droplets of moisture that had formed on the statue created the illusion of this bleeding sculpture. The head had drooped. The facial expression had melted into compassion. The arms drooped and expressed welcome. The artist was horrified and was aghast to having to start over again. His work was completely ruined. And as he kept looking at the statue of the Savior, his thoughts began to take a different shape. He realized that his image of Christ was much closer to reality. He then wrote his caption and placed it under the figure. It said, Come unto me. In truth, as he had initially desired, though not in the manner he had envisioned it, this divinely altered the piece of art was in fact his masterpiece. That ha- was happened more than just that has happened more than just with a, sep- a sepulture. It happened more often than we could count in Pentecostal experiences all over the world. And what the devil sometimes meant to be evil, and what life sometimes comes against you and tries to destroy, God takes that situation and makes something good out of it. What I'm trying to say is to you tonight, when life seems uncertain and messes everything up, I want you to remember that Scripture, that all things work together for the good to them that are called according to His purpose. Listen, bad things are going to happen, and we're going to feel uncertain in our spirit, but you can rest assured that we serve a God that will step in and take mistakes and make them right. What the devil tries to make something a mess out of, God will always step in and He will make it right. Seems like sometimes I hit a wall up here, but I'm going to break through this tonight. God will take the enemy or He will take a situation and He will use them for His own purpose. I've had many times in my life blows and it come against me and knock me down and, and destroy me. I've, had, I've lost jobs and, and it appeared. And, and I've, I even, I've even blamed God, to be honest with you, with, with things. And I've seen things happen in people's lives and they did the same thing. People that get cancer and people that are diagnosed with diseases. And it's easy to look at those situations and, 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 and uh, blame and, 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 and be distraught and get bitter. But listen, let me tell you something. One thing that I understand to be for sure is that God will never leave nor forsake you. He will always take what seems to be a loss and He will make a victory out of it. Do you hear what I'm saying? I'm talking to somebody here tonight that has lost some things. The devil has stolen from you. Life has knocked you in the face and knocked you down. But God is trying to speak 
through me tonight to tell you, you better get ready. God is getting ready to make a miracle out of the mess that has... My point is that every time I lose something, every time I lose something, God replaces it with something greater. The Bible is full of examples of where the Lord took the enemy and used them for His own purpose. I want you to hear me. Joseph being prepared for captivity. He was prepared for ca- in captivity to save. Moses was hidden in an ark, uh, in an ark made of bulrushes. But he was sit there in that crocodile infested water to save his people. Israel incubated in Egypt, but you can rest assured they went through the water and they found Canaan. David fleeing for his life from Saul. But eventually he became the greatest king that ever walked the face of the earth. Saul of Tarsus persecuting the church. But God was preparing him to have the greatest apostolic revival that this world has ever seen. Let me tell you something. Don't fret when the enemy steals from you. I wish I'd have had this message for Sunday night. Oh, Mm. I look at this man up here, and I see this man that he's he's up in his forties. He won't admit it because he's a strong man. But I can guarantee that man, there's the devil's laid it in his mind, his thoughts, that his best ministry is behind him. The devil has tried to take it from you, Brother Fox, and I, I, we, we, we talked about that before. The devil has tried to take it from a lot of you people. But I've got news for you. I believe I'm sitting in a room full of people that are not laying down and letting hell steal from them. They're not letting situations dictate their future. They're not letting de- the devil say this is final. I believe that I'm talking to a church that's going to have the last final say so. You're going to dance on the ground of an enemy. McCormick's Creek Church, you've not seen the greatest revival yet. Sometimes I sit up on this platform and I look at the empty pews. I found myself doing it Sunday night. I looked at about six or seven empty pews. And the devil began to talk in my ear and said, remember when? But I had to remind the devil, you don't understand. The Bible says in the last days that we're going to have the greatest revival. I'm... I know you're sick and tired of hearing me preach about it, but I don't care. I'm going to preach revival until we experience it. And when we experience it, we're going to experience a greater one than that. All right, I'm going to go on. 
Hmm. How many of you felt uncertain this week? Come on. How many of you felt a, just a slight bit of depression by what you see when you walk down the road or get up in the morning? How many of you also know that we serve a God that said, I'm the rock? How many of you know that He said, I am the chief cornerstone? You know what that means? The chief cornerstone is a benchmark that was set before the foundations of the world that never changes. You hear me? That benchmark never changes. You can get up in the morning. God has never changed. He will never change. Our attitudes change. Our outlook on life changes. Our, our mindsets change. We get older. We get heavier. We get lighter. We change. You've got to get used to it. We're going to change. But let me tell you something. The chief cornerstone has never changed, nor will it ever change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Quit measuring your success with your brothers or your sisters. Base yourself on the rock that never changes. He's the rock. He's going to be there tomorrow. When you get up, it doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter how sick you are. He's never changed. He's never changed. If you lose your job, He's never changed. If you're sick, He's never changed. Oh. My goodness, i got to go on. Sorry, I'm getting so excited. It's not traditionally supposed to be this way on Wednesday nights. But my God, I feel the Holy Ghost. Oh, i got to go on. Ephesians 2 and 1 through 7 said, and you, hath he, and you hath He quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in times time past, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all our conversations in times past in the lust, excuse me, of our flesh, and fulfilling of the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others, but God, who is rich in mercy, and his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, quick, he, he didn't come and die. I want you to hear me. He did not come and die for a bunch of perfect people. He didn't come to die for a church. He come to die when we were sinners. There is nowhere in the Scripture that Jesus Christ died for a church. The church had not yet been yet. He died for a bunch of sinners so He could build a church. In other words, when we were idiots and goofies and sinners oh, and fornicators and idolaters, 
and drug addicts and alcoholics. He said, there's somebody I can use. Don't ever tell me that you're not good enough. Don't ever tell me that Jesus don't love you. Even when we were dead in sins, hath He quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come He might show the exceedingly riches of His grace in His kindness towards us through Jesus Christ. Jesus gave us a faint idea of that with His miracles, water being turned into wine, which was emptiness. He took something and made nothing. He took something that was uncertain and He changed the water into wine. Bartimaeus having blinded eyes, blindness. And He gave a vision to someone that didn't have deaf ears being opened, deaf, the characters of the gospel. You look at every character in the Bible, talk about characters. You talk about a bunch of idiots. And I mean that with all reverence. I mean, for goodness sakes, the guy that preached the greatest message that ever preached, that ever preached in the world, that was ever spoken, Acts 2.38, looked at him 50 days prior and said, I don't know who you are. You talk about being uncertain of who Peter was and what he was. And God looked at him and said, oh, it's all right. You don't understand. You may deny me today. You may be empty and uncertain. You may never know, oh my goodness, where you're going. But listen, let me tell you something. You don't know your future. I'm getting ready to anoint you and... I'm talking to people that are uncertain that God's getting ready to raise up. But I feel empty. It's all right. But I'm blind. I have no vision. It's all right. He's getting ready. But I'm deaf. I can't hear. I'm certain. I'm certain. Because I don't base my, 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 uh, my, my abilities on my own, on, on accord, I base them on an all-knowing God that has a power and the ability to invest in me because He loved me. Not because I'm good, but because He's good. Man, I don't know if I'm preaching good or not, but that's all right. Talk about feeling Uncertain. Peter, James, and John and all of them just got done witnessing the greatest miracles in three and a half years. Changing water into wine. healing, uh, Raising Lazarus from the dead. And all these things that he done. And all of a sudden they find themselves at the foot of the cross. And they're looking at him and they're trying to figure out if it's really him because he's been beaten so bad his own mom didn't even recognize him. And they look at him and the last thing they heard him say, it's finished. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, talk about feeling uncertain. What now? And John the Beloved... 
days before at that Passover, he laid his head in the breast of, of God himself and heard the blood pump through the heart of Jesus Christ and heard the blood of Jesus Christ run through the veins and the heart of him. And all of a sudden, he bled the last drop of blood and dropped his head and said, It's finished. John the Beloved, uncertain. Empty, depressed, dark, the storm came, the, the thunder rolled, and he, it was just a sad time. You ever been there? The uncertainty of limited resources, the uncertainty of disability, the uncertainty of a bad marriage, the uncertainty of an, a nagging illness, the uncertainty of a job loss, the uncertainty of financial pressures, the uncertainty of a troubled child, the, the uncertainty of consequences from a bad choice, or the uncertainty of providing care for someone that you love, the, the uncertainty of a dark darkness that will it won't seem to lift, and depression, and uncertainty of questions that will, that will not let you rest at night, and uncertainty of, of not having anyone to lean on, and loneliness, uncertainty of seeing a dream collapse before you, Uncertainty of a dilemma that you did not ask for. But I got news for you. He got up. They took that uncertainty and they put it in a grave. For three solid days, they scratched their head and they walked around. What in the world are we going to do next? The dusty trail of two lonely women that were uncertain went running to a tomb. When they got there, what a surprise that they got. Now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man, also, man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as Adam did all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. 1 Corinthians 15, 42 and 44 says, So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And is sown to dishonor. It is raised in glory. And it is sown in weakness. And it's raised in power. <laughs> it, is, it is sown a natural body. And it is raised a spirit. Spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51 through 58 says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a moment and in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump. Can I tell you what that scripture means to me? I've told you about it before. There's a song that says I'm going to be gone in a twinkling of an eye, but that's not scripture. God bless that person's heart that wrote that song that said, I'm going to be gone in a twinkling of an eye. It doesn't say that. It says, we're all going to be changed. 
I believe we're not going to be gone in a twinkling. We're going to, they're going to watch us. The Bible says just like he left. And they watched him leave. Did they not? Said just like he left. We're going to raise. I believe that this world is going to be standing there. We're going to be changed. We're going to lay this body down. And we're going to pick up a body just like his, just like Pastor was talking Sunday. And they're going to watch us exit out of this place. No more sickness. No more death. For the former things are passed away. Listen, I'm not uncertain. I'm not worried about tomorrow. I got to tell you something tonight. I'm certain that I'm going to live again. For this corruptible, excuse me, I'm getting so excited I can't even talk. I think I'm speaking in tongues. Must put on incorruption. And this mortal must put on immortality. Picture this. You probably don't want to picture it if you're not right with God. Think about this. The pilot that's flying the 747 with 350 people on it. He's got the Holy Ghost. It's, it's really, it's, it's exciting, but it's, it's bittersweet. He's flying a plane. And he's changed. Chaos is going to hit this world of, uncert- of uncertainty. You don't want to be here. It's bad on this earth now. And the power of God is on it. But when it's taken out, you talk about uncertainty. There's going to be chaos. I've I've laid in bed at night and prayed about it and I've thought about it. And I've prayed, God, don't let me be left here. I I don't want that feeling. And and, and maybe it was God showing me what was going to happen. It's going to be so much bitterness. In other words, all of love, God is love. All of love is going to be taken. Oh, and I'm not trying to bring you down. I'm, I'm going to tell you what I seen in the Holy Ghost the other night. I told my wife, and I told Brother James Michael this. I said, I had a, I don't know if it was a vision or a dream, but I, I, I know I woke up, and I, you know how you wake up and you, you remember dreams or something throughout the day? I, 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 I don't know how it happened, but I remember the rapture taking place. And I, look and I was looking down at McCormick's Creek Church, and I, said, I seen people. And they was gathering in here, and it was a Sunday. And I don't, I didn't see their faces, but I heard one. I must have dreamed it, but I heard one say to the other, "Why are we here? There's no more hope." And somebody said, "Well, just in case, there's another chance. Just in case." Changes his mind. I was supposed to end on a up note. But the fact is, you don't have to feel that way. 
You don't have to feel that way. You don't have to be left behind. Bible says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. and The strength of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, which giveth, giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We don't have to fear uncertainty. We don't have to be afraid. We're not going to know anything bad. We're not going to know about pain. We're not going to know anything about crime or disease. Most of all, I know one thing I'm certain about, Brother Floyd. I want to see Jesus. I want to, I just want to touch his hands. I just want, I do. He's still got the holes in his hands. He, he did when he died. After he died, he come back. He left them there for a reason. I believe that I'm going to walk up to him and I'm going to grab his hands. I, 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 I don't like touching feet. But I want to touch Jesus' feet. And I want to hug him. And I want to tell him I love him. And I want to tell him, this is what I want to tell him. Thank you for letting me be certain in an uncertain world. Let's stand. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise.